Welcome, Alison Baum, to How to Build a Village. I'm so honored to have you on this podcast because I have been a fan of yours for several years as well as a friend. And I am proud to be an ambassador for Best Beginnings, your fabulous charity. And I'm so eager to hear what led you to start Best Beginnings. I love that you spent about 10 years as a producer director in the science department at the BBC mm-hmm. and then chose to use your skills as a scientist, teacher and filmmaker to help drive positive social change in the UK. And I love how you started Best Beginnings in 2006 and was so impressed when you were awarded the OBE back in 2017 for your services to reducing inequalities in child health. So I would love to hear what led you on this journey and what inspired you to start Best Beginnings. Well, first of all, thank you, Jill, for having me. It's an absolute pleasure to be on your podcast series. I've listened to a number of just really interesting and and different people. So it's a real privilege to to be here and have a chance to tell you a bit about, I guess, my journey. So life is a journey and I would never have known or been able to guess that I would be running a national charity working to reduce inequalities in child health. I mean, having said that, I kind of always knew from when I was a young child that I wanted to make a difference, but that was in a very kind of non-specific way. And I had always intended to be an academic and follow the academic path. So I did my first degree in pure and applied biology. I taught tropical ecology in the States. I studied bison behavior. I could have ended up doing a PhD actually on primate behavior in South America. What happened off the back of my teaching and studying in the United States was a desire to come back and study neuroscience to focus less on the the what of animal behavior and more on the why and I thoroughly enjoyed that year and learned a huge amount and actually a number of key things in terms of the importance of the the in utero kind of the pregnancy whether we are talking about mice or or humans um, and the importance of brain development in those early years but what I also learned whilst doing my master's is that I had decided that actually I was more of a communicator of ideas than necessarily a lifelong bench scientist. So I made this shocking decision not to do a PhD at all and instead to go into science communication. So I didn't know anyone in that world. I I guess I was pretty tenacious. I got my foot in the door on an unpaid work experience at the the BBC in the science department um, and had an unofficial, but it was like an apprenticeship. I, I learned about filmmaking and storytelling, because ultimately it's about telling stories, uh, distilling complex ideas and making them accessible to lots of people, whether that was on Tomorrow's World or Horizon or Trust Me, I'm a Doctor or even Animal Hospital. And honestly, I, I would say that I'd found my dream job in that I had the, the opportunity to speak to leading lights in different academic fields and, and communicate their Uh, fascinating ideas and also stories of discovery to audiences in in the UK and and, and beyond. And then life took a series of unexpected turns, including some serious challenges, which led me to take voluntary redundancy from the BBC and and found, ultimately, there was a stage in between, but but to set up Best Beginnings. And um, I guess the three key 
life events that shifted my journey. First of all, my uncle David, he had been an inspirational uncle, but also an inspirational world-renowned pediatrician who was, I'd say, ahead of his time in terms of understanding kind of the importance of wrapping care around the child and the family. He was passionate about the rights of the child. He always focused on the child and the family and those kind of circles of support. So my uncle really was ahead of the game in terms of embracing the strength and the knowledge of a multidisciplinary approach. So he worked with, with midwives or psychologists or you know, people from all backgrounds, not just sort of medic knows best. Um, and honestly, one of my joys over the years is meeting people that knew my uncle and, and, and worked with him and people for whom their life courses changed. The importance of a multidisciplinary approach, that kind of collaborative style but always with a twinkle in his eye and always with a magic trick up his sleeve and and often in fact pretty much always with a bow tie on so so he um, had inspired me and, and my cousins our entire lives he used to always tell us the story of the starfish which maybe we'll have a chance to uh, to, to tell um, while we talk today but it was uh, ultimately about this idea that wherever you can you should make a difference and David died tragically absolutely unexpectedly um, at the age of 59 of a massive coronary when he was on a charity bike ride and it ripped a hole through all of us the family uh, obviously his wife and and four boys uh, were very close family and it and it shifted something quite deep in me but I didn't stop what I was doing if that makes sense Mm -hmm. so it was a life event that was a precursor to that decision to leave the BBC but it was there in the background. Um, And then I had my first son, uh, David, who is named after my uncle David, who had a very different world. And I guess that's the second life event. Uh, Having had a perfect pregnancy, uh, very kind of took all, read all the books, did all the reading, took all the folic acid, you know, when it's a very kind of cognizant decision we were in Australia at the time I had taken a small career break from the BBC I'm giving you the long version Jill I, I love it yeah, is, my is... husband's a pediatrician and he he got a secondment um to um work out at Westmead like a sabbatical out at Westmead Children's Hospital and I'd always worked and I've always worked very hard so I seized the opportunity and for the first and uh only kind of uh time apart from around the birth of my kids I, I, I volunteered uh, not worked it was in no substantive role I actually volunteered during the Sydney Olympics which was phenomenal um, this was Alison Baum um, with the worst sense of direction in the world known for it <laughs> he'd done a PhD on the hippocampus which is a part of the brain involved in spatial memory driving the Olympia uh, the British Olympic team uh, from venue to venue around Sydney. My, my friends thought it was extraordinary that they let me <laughs> lose on the job. But but anyway, I kind of everything was to plan. I fell pregnant there. It was a healthy pregnancy. And then when David was born, everything changed. Um, I just remember having had a good labour and David being born. Uh, he was early um, and they always have to have a doctor with the, the babies under, I think, 37 weeks. And this uh, junior doctor said... Um, congratulations you have a healthy baby boy and I just remember Paul Paul's words ringing out I don't think so can you get the registrar wow 
So that was the beginning of a five-week, five-hospital kind of complex journey that took us to Great Ormond Street in the end, where we received phenomenal care. Mm. Um, and uh, my little David had something called Pierre Bear, kind of breathing and feeding difficulties and a cleft palate, a very big cleft palate. And, and here was I, this kind of uh, educated, empowered uh, woman married to a pediatrician from a family of doctors trained to ask questions. And I found it overwhelming. Mm. Um, and I got to thinking, gosh, if this is hard for me, how much harder would it be for parents that don't happen to be lucky enough by sheer chance of birth and situation to have that support network around them. There is a longer, longer story, which does involve a double pumping for my boy that couldn't breastfeed, but for whom I wanted to give breast milk because Mm. a lot of the milk went down the the wrong way. And it, you know, it was protective with everything else going on. And also I felt like it was something I could do, like a difference I could make in the midst of everything medical. But but I ended up becoming the exclusive distributor of this special bra. I don't think I've ever told you about the bra that changed my life. Called the easy expression halter neck bra and it allows you to double pump hands-free and easy so I was able to pump my breast milk for David whilst also feeding him with a special squeezy bottle in this very special way and I was able to read the Harry Potter books while expressing in the night because of the bra anyway <laughs> uh, I went back to the BBC and they very publicly they knew I had a little mini business on the side it wasn't making any money where I was selling these bras to mums of cleft palate babies and down mm. babies with down syndrome and I also got involved in an internal change program so this was a, a bit of my experience it wasn't a life event but it was a serendipitously beneficial kind of gathering of insights and information just like when I uh, was studying my neuroscience I acquired lots of information that has stood me instead in terms of understanding the importance of brain development in utero and in the early years and 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 the pruning of neurons and synapse formation and you know all 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 that I'd learned there here I was in the BBC trying to get a better work-life balance and I'd stepped out of film production briefly and had got involved in an internal change program Mm. So I was working uh, with Susan Spindler, who was working to Greg Dyke, and we were communicating to the BBC at large, I don't know, was it 17,000 at the time? I don't know the staff numbers, this shifting culture to better work-life balance, etc. Mm-hmm. And the, uh, it was ironic because I was doing crazy hours while communicating how good the BBC was at work-life balance, but leave that <laughs> aside. Um, uh, the methodology that underpinned the change program was from the work of Cotter, this management consultant guru from the States, all about change management. And it was uh, a method of appreciative inquiry and co-creation and the idea that you don't do to people kind of change has to come from within an organization. Mm-hmm. Um, and so a huge amount of, kind of different consultation events that informed the plan that was then communicated. And I have to say that knowledge also underpins what happened. Um, but still, at this point, I would still be still at the BBC. Um, and it was when I had my second son, Joshua, who's now 18, and he was also born early in poorly. And he got diagnosed with meningitis at eight days old. desperately ill that experience with Josh and not being heard on my journey and not me losing confidence in myself and 
my uh, attempt to kind of advocate for what, what was what I believed was happening. And again, in between, I was digging into the evidence because that's my background. Mm-hmm. So I, on this journey, became aware that there are shocking inequalities in outcomes mm. in the UK. Mm. Right here in the United Kingdom, at this point it was 2003, but still today, 2021. Um, for example, a baby born in Birmingham is four times more likely to die before their first birthday than a baby born in Bath. Mm. You know, right now, a baby born in Blackpool is 13 times more likely to be born to a mother who is smoking than a, a baby born in Westminster. Um, or if you look through the ethnicity lens, and it's just shocking, a, a black mother is four times more likely to die in pregnancy than a, uh, a black British or black mother than a, than a, than a white British white, white mother. So, um, so I became aware of this serious problem. Um, and also, I read a book. Actually, this was the final piece of the puzzle. So the three life events were my uncle and my two boys. And then there was knowledge along the way. And I guess the tipping point was the book called The Tipping Point by Malcolm Gladwell. And I don't have you have you read it? I have not read though. I've read a lot of books by him, but not that one. I'm going to put it on the list. So it's definitely one for the list. Um, And basically, a lot of the thinking uh, around kind of Cotter's approach to organization organizational change within a company or a corporate and I'd seen the parallels between the things that were the BBC as a beast where I was working and the NHS as a beast where my husband was working but then what the tipping point showed me is how this kind of approach this kind of very much community-led co-creation asset-based approach to really shift things that you can take this change management approach at a societal scale Anyway, I made a decision and I took voluntary redundancy to make a difference. I had a brief foray in a uh, business that was going to sell pregnancy and baby wrap equipment and and then, you know, baby wearing equipment. And I was going to make lots of money and then do good stuff. And then in 2006, I realized, actually, (laughs) I, I was really only interested in the doing good stuff, not in making a profitable business, if that makes sense. So I, I, I founded uh, Best Beginnings. And, and uh, our aims are the same now as they were then, about seizing this wonderful window of opportunity from preconception, now it's the fifth birthday, to give parents the knowledge and confidence to look after themselves and also to maximize their baby's potential. So rather than assuming, which people often do, that that, that these longstanding, seemingly intractable inequalities that exist will always be this way, actually was aware of different studies and interventions um, and evidence that if you can give parents the skills and the confidence and the support, you can shift things that parenting confident parenting and well-supported parents you can uh, pet trumps money in the bank and that's that's the work I can't believe this is our 15th anniversary as a charity Amazing. that's what we've been doing for the last 15 years well I love that you turned these traumatic events and as you said outcomes that could have been very different with your babies into activism and philanthropy and entrepreneurialism and created this amazing charity from something that could have could have destroyed you. And that's so traumatic having 
your babies be so sick and, and, and to struggle to get the information, mm. you know, it, it's, um, it's just amazing. That you're able to use that to launch your journey in a positive way instead of letting it weigh you down. It's funny. I used to always say that, you know, you can hide under your duvet or you can get up and do something about it. And I think that desire to do something about it. I mean, I talk a lot about my Uncle David and his starfish story, but I also do want to give my parents a lot of credit because they've always made a difference in different ways in their respective worlds. One academia and the other sort of, I guess, uh, my mum was a physio, but she's also done, she's, she's now in her uh, 80s and she's a town councillor so that kind of wow. energy for change also comes from 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 my incredible parents but but also it's interesting along the way I've met lots of incredible people who are doing really powerful work because of the challenging experiences that they've had so I I do believe not always but sometimes and and more often than people realize from adversity comes the opportunity to make a difference because it allows you it gives you more empathy more understanding more insights into other people's challenges and allows you to dig deep and pull upon the skills or the knowledge that you happen to have because of your journey before the life before as it were and there's someone and I, I must look it up and, and remind myself whether it's formally a, a, a phrase that's been coined or whether it's actually just a, a word out there in the midst, but people often talk about post-traumatic trauma. But but there's this there's this post-traumatic growth as a as a theory. Um, and I and I don't know, I, I actually need to do a little bit of research on it, but but it's really struck me, and I've seen it with different people who are working within the charitable sector, that actually if you can convert your really challenging experiences in a way that will make things easier for people that follow, that can be incredibly empowering and healing, actually. One of the things I've loved to see with Best Beginnings is how it's evolved over the years. And I love that you've really been a leader with talking about mental health as well and, and, and putting that as a piece to the puzzle, that the mental health of the parents are so important. And, and for so long, I felt like people weren't talking about it. And it's really, don't, wouldn't you agree in recent years that that conversation's really started and you guys have been such trailblazers with heads together and having that be a really important piece of the, the healthy family. Yes. No, I, I have to say one of my very proud moments was getting a call from the Royal Foundation to ask if we'd like to come and be part of this thing that was taking shape. At that point, it didn't even have a name, Heads Together, because together there was co-creation of the name and the, the brand, etc. And I'm really proud to be, all of us at Best Beginnings are really proud that we're one of the Heads Together charity partners. And it, and it made such sense to me because I am passionate about the power of collaboration to drive change. And that's been there from the beginning, probably from my youth movement days. And I didn't even mention that backstory, but as a young thing, as an as a, as a A-level student and as an undergraduate, I was very involved in um, youth movements. And that gave me a sense of kind of creating resources and cascading ideas and information. So, um, and I guess the mental health thing, this is just about where the evidence is. You know, our mental health and our physical health are, are inextricably linked. I mean, I remember, and this is again, all those years I worked on uh, Horizon, not just the films I was working on, but 
seeing colleagues of mine working on different programs. I'm trying to remember, it was probably, I don't know, 94 or something, maybe it was 95. There was a, a, a program at the time it was seen, it's very alternative. You know, the idea that actually your mental state, your mental state, your well-being can impact positively or negatively on your immune system. And that was seen mm. as other, well, you know, otherworldly kind of namby-pamby stuff and mm. actually the kind of this um, separation has um, the evidence shows us how the two are inextricably linked you know whether it's because you are thinking about the, the connection in terms of whether you're if you're feeling depressed or anxious and smoking can become a strategy well that's going to have impact on your physical health or you have an underlying physical health condition that affects your mental health so again pulling upon my BBC days it's all about the power of story so what we've always done since the very first um, films we made at Best Beginnings because you can take what you say you can take the girl out of the BBC but you can't take the BBC completely out of the girl um, <laughs> and, and films and use of films is a really big part of what we do as a charity so filming parents uh, talking about their experiences as a way of normalizing them. So there was there were a series of films that we made that took three years to make and they're now still there and they're used and they're used day in, day out by thousands of parents across the country in our uh, NHS approved Baby Buddy app, which I'm sure we might get to talk about, but the, co- the, the content uh, and this commitment to working with diverse families to identify families of all backgrounds that want to share their story so that you, as a mum of whatever background, wherever you are in the UK, actually also now internationally, I've been showing some of these films in Australia, Australia kind of piece of work getting underway, but that actually sharing of the human story and hearing people from different backgrounds, different accents, different ethnicity, uh, different ethnicities, talking about their mental health and the challenges that they have gives one permission as a, a, a woman or, or a man, or you know, how, however you identify watching that film to realize this core idea, which is it's okay to not be okay. Mm. And you need to seek help. Not that it's okay to not be okay and we should just suffer on in silence. No, this core idea that it's okay to say that you're not feeling okay. There's so much this idea of, don't know if you remember this from when when your kids were little, but this mask of motherhood Mm. where you're saying everything's rosy and everything's lovely and people are fearful that if they disclose to their midwife or their health visitor or their GP what they're feeling, that, for example, one of the deep fears is that the child will be taken away. Mm. Whereas what will happen is by disclosing how you're feeling, you will get the right support and then you will be at this kind of moment, that inflection point on your road to recovery, which may be quick, it may be long. But yeah, mental health is an integral supporting. So it's two different things. It's preventing poor mental health in terms of building protective factors. So we've got this app, Baby Buddy, which provides daily information every day. Uh, personalized mentioning you by name and your baby by name and if you're with your partner your partner by name um it gives you little nuggets of kind of reinforcement of confidence in yourself the fact that all the content is assured by all the relevant royal colleges you know like the midwives and the pediatricians and the um the obstetricians and the, and the gps or the um, professionals from all those backgrounds have checked everything through 
that's another known, like if you look to the academic literature, there's all this evidence of the, the protective factors for mental health around maternity. And it includes having the confidence to seek help. It includes having access to reliable and relevant information. It, so Baby Buddy does a lot to protect good mental health, but equally, it's got a 24-7 crisis text messenger so that if a mum or a dad or anyone using the app is in emotional crisis or just emotionally really struggling, they can click through and get that quality assured help. So a lot of our work is a bit like a fence at the top of a cliff mm. to try and prevent anyone kind of falling off and hurting themselves. But there is a bit of our work in terms of that signposting, not just to the crisis messenger service, but to so many different charities that we signpost to, that it's a bit also like a proverbial um, ambulance as well as a fence. I think we need both. Don't we? Yeah, yeah. And where? So you've got so many different outlets. You've got you've got Baby Buddy. But what else do you have that you're particularly proud of that you've been working on? Um, what I'm I think I'm most proud of is our parent panel because collaboration underpins everything that we do. We've got a phenomenal head of engagement. Her name is Agnes Adjipong, and we already had a good parent panel, and she's just grown it and built it. And um, it's ensuring that diverse voices are informing and shaping what we do as a charity, but also informing and shaping policy decisions on the national scale. So, um, so for example... Um, you may remember or, or not that right, Honourable right, um, Andrew Leadsom MP published a, a recent review all about the importance of the early years. Mm. I was immensely proud that our representatives from some phenomenal grassroots organisations and members of our parent panel uh, took part. We actually organised two separate roundtables for Andrea Ledsom and her team, one for black mothers from diverse backgrounds, but all, all, all black mothers, and another roundtable from South um, Asian mums. Many of them campaigners in their own right, one a, one a GP, able to share their lived reality so that rather than this disconnect between what people are experiencing, you know, the, the challenges families are experiencing, and unfortunately, uh, institutionalized racism within the system that you know, needs to be heard, because you can read the stats, but it's when you hear from women and men from different communities and you've had different experiences, you can't help but listen and understand and and one of the what's been heartening to us is we enable those round tables and you read the final review and it talks about the need for kind of parent um, and carer panels this idea of no decision about me without me because we're not going to see societal shift by doing two people no one wants to be told what to do not you not me you know whether it's from your mum or your big sister or your auntie your doctor it's not being told what to do it's having someone that can walk alongside you on your journey so I'm I'm just so proud to be working with so many phenomenal women and men and 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 and, and people of all backgrounds who are not just helping shape ensure that baby buddies as good as it can be not just working with us to integrate the app so it really works within localities you know for example we're working across Surrey and in northeast London but also really importantly influencing policy decisions so that we can actually 
shift things for future generations. Well, I mean, you guys have done so much great work already. How can listeners find you and support your great work? Uh, There's so many ways to get involved. Uh, We really do consider Best Beginnings to be a family and we are always growing the family. So our website is bestbeginnings.org.uk and we're on Twitter, we're on Instagram. I am uh, need to get better at Instagram. I'm just Alison Baum on there and on uh, Twitter. I'm much better at Twitter. I think maybe I'm showing my age in, in that regard. But, but what's so lovely is that the many ways that people can get involved. So people might want to, for example, lend the support of their company. So some corporates want to get involved and be part of this working together to really shift change because we are... At this inflection point, we have our 15th anniversary gala dinner at Mansion House in October, and it's being hosted by the Lord Mayor and the Lady Mayoress. And, and you know, I'm very proud that the Lady Mayoress is our, one of our trustees. So, you know, some, some of your listeners, who knows, they might want to be part of that special event. And um, if they just email CEO at bestbeginnings.org.uk, they'll get me and, and we can talk about that. But it's the long game because our patrons and our ambassadors and our supporters, once they join the family, they're with us the long haul. I mean, I did try to think how many years ago it was that we first met Jill. And sometimes it's about donations. We've got a wonderful major giving program for people that happen to be in a position to give a lot. We also love our regular givers who you know, maybe giving a few pounds every month. Uh, We also love people that want to give their time. I've got an actuarial firm at the moment that's doing some pro bono work, looking at our big data that comes off the back as an anonymized and aggregated data data set to maximize our learning from it to inform future developments. You know, there's huge potential for pro bono support or marketing or comms. So, and also anyone that wants to volunteer little and often like someone that wants to give, you know, a few hours every week. Fantastic. We've got internship opportunities. So I, I think what's lovely is there are so many different ways, whatever your background, if you're listening to this, that you can really make a difference and be part of this really exciting journey to inform and empower the next generation of parents. So before you go, if you could tell us the starfish story. Absolutely. So my uncle used to tell me and my cousins this story um, when we were little and at various points at family gatherings and the like. So there was an old geezer, an old guy, who used to go for a walk along the clifftop um, every evening, kind of like his post-prandial walk before he settled down for the night. And one day he was somewhere tropical. I never quite knew where this walk was happening, but he'd walk along the clifftop. And then one day he saw something down on the shore, some sort of movement. And normally this was his beach, you know, it was a clifftop and a deserted beach. But he saw something and it sort of piqued his interest. So he decided to take a little bit of a detour and he headed down and kind of zigzag way towards down from the cliff towards the beach. And as he got closer and closer, he saw it was a, a young a young boy, a young lad who was really busy doing something. Now, this um, old guy didn't have the best side, so he got closer and closer. And then he realized what was happening, which was there was starfish being washed onto the shore by the waves. Mm. And for every starfish 
that was being washed onto the shore, this young lad, bless him, you know, this girl guy for kind of the folly of youth, he was throwing, bending down, picking up starfish and throwing them back. And the old guy thought, this is all very lovely, but you know, he's not making any difference. Can't this young boy see that for every one he's throwing back like another two or three or four are washing onto the shore and they're drying and dying in the sun. So this young lad, I mean, even the fading sun by the morning, when the, you know, with the tide going out, that they wouldn't that they wouldn't survive the night. Mm. So he decides to give some wisdom to the boy. So he sidles alongside him, so that the boy is here throwing the starfish, and the old uh, old guy walks alongside him. The young lad is so focused on his work, he doesn't notice the old guy until he speaks. And he says, "Young man," and the young man looks up, um, and he said. Can't you see that what you're doing here isn't making any difference? For every starfish you throw back, another you know two or three or four are coming onto the onto the um, the shore. What, what you're doing here is futile. You're really feeling like he's making you know saying imparting some wisdom on this young boy, and this young lad looks at him. Then he bends back down, picks up another starfish, looks at him, and says, "Well." It makes a difference to this one as he throws it back. Oh, what a lovely, lovely story. So this idea that sometimes the troubles of the world can feel insurmountable, mm-hmm. that there's no point even trying to make a difference because there is so much change that is needed. But I guess what Uncle David was trying to teach us as 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 kids and then young people was don't be put off by that focus on something and go for it because we can all make a difference that's his story I love that that is so inspiring well thank you for sharing that I'm pleased to share it uh other people have told it many people have attributed to different people uncle David never told us it was his story but for many of us in pediatrics and child health and actually uh, the chief rabbi, because we're a Jewish family and the chief rabbi heard Uncle David tell it too. For many of us, for many of us, um, it is um, synonymous with, with David, but it's a, it's a story for everyone. Well, thank you for bringing it to all of us. Thank you. It's my pleasure. <laughs>